0: Welcome in everyone to episode 17 of Up and Down, a Disc Golf Analytics podcast. I'm Jesse, joined as usual by Joey. Hello again. We're the nerds who are still running this thing. And on this episode, we are talking about putting in a special feature episode, which we don't get to do too often, and we're always happy to do them.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this one. I think we got a lot of cool stuff and... You know, we just recorded episode 16, so I've got the stats fresh in my mind, and I'm excited to jump right into it and, and see what we can uncover.
0: Yep, we haven't even stopped recording, so on this episode, we are answering a very specific question. We are trying to answer the question, how can we make putting a bigger factor in tournaments?
1: Yeah, I, I love these discussions, you know, you and I have these discussions all the time all the time, we have discussions with some of the Statmando guys, and obviously, they all have phenomenal ideas about how we can change this and improve it and think about it differently. And, you know, are there changes we can actually make to the game that, you know, create a more exciting product? And I- I'm excited to have this discussion.
0: So, where this all comes from as I introduce the topic uh, as we get into it going back to the world championships if you look at the strokes gained spread which is something we like to publish at as many events as we can in the MPO and the FPO side the strokes gained spread reveals how much more important or how much of a bigger factor the tee to green game tends to be than the putting game right so in worlds specifically Looking at the MPO side of things, the most strokes gained putting over that five-round event that any player had was Gannon Burr at roughly 13.4, and he had a good margin on the strokes gained putting game. I think the next closest was like 10.3, right? The T to green, uh, the most T to green strokes that anyone gained, Anthony Barella, was at almost 26th, and that was not an outlier. There were three or four players all in that 23 to 26 range.
1: So so double the strokes gained compared to putting.
0: Exactly, exactly. And on the FPO side, it was even more of that same story. On the putting side, the most strokes gained putting that anybody had was 10.8, roughly, the T to Green, the most was henna Blomroos at thirty-eight. And that was a bit of an outlier, right? That was the most by nine. So if you go down to second place, Hall and Hanley at roughly twenty-nine, that's still a huge yeah. difference between the putting at only ten point eight.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting the the disparity that we see. And, you know, there's some courses that we see that you know, the the T to green is not as big of a factor. So you see the stroke differential come from the putting, but but even then it's it's not necessarily a separator as it is currently. And, you know, not only as the sport is, but as the way that we analyze the statistics that happen in the sport. Right. And I think there's a lot of interesting ways that we can talk about. You know potential changes for creating more separation, or or is more separation needed? And you know, I, I think for me, the the first way to start thinking about it is like thinking about similar changes in in other sports, right? And and similar conversations. Um, NCAA basketball moved the three point line back a couple years ago, and you know, of course, the three point percentage dropped, but at the end of the day, did it really change the game that much? And, you know, if you read about these sorts of changes in other sports, particularly the big professional sports, they're really hesitant to make these sort of changes because offense is everything, right? That's what makes it exciting. People like watching people make putts. So, although for us, like stat nerds, you know, creating more separation and making it more challenging and things like that is more exciting and creates a richer game it doesn't always necessarily mean that that's what the pro tour wants because it might not make it as exciting for the viewer and maybe it is maybe it isn't but that that's an essential part of this conversation as well is at the end of the day disc golf is a product and we have to make it exciting right so if you just use marksman baskets on every hole and drop the circle one putting by half is that more is that fun to watch Paul McBeth miss a 20 footer? You know. <laughs> so th- nope. that's that's an important part of the conversation, right? Like in in ball golf, putting is really really hard.
0: So we, So hard.
1: We yeah. we inherit a lot of our stats from ball golf. So for example, green in regulation is always par minus 2. And the reason for that is, you know, you assume that it will take you two putts to get in from anywhere on the green. You essentially have a layup putt where you put it close and then you tap it in. So most green and regulations in ball golf are going to result in pars. Whereas in disc golf, unless you're in deep circle two, you you pretty much expect to get in from one. I would say most pros are going to be annoyed at themselves if they don't hit a circle one putt. And for a lot of the the top circle two putters, I mean, if you're missing from within 40 feet, that's a that's a lost stroke. And, you know, you expect Green and Regulations to get birdies, not pars. And that's an important difference between disc golf and ball golf, is putting is easy in disc golf. So so where do you gain that excitement back, right? Where do you how do you reward really good putters when Inherently in the game, it doesn't create that much separation because everybody's good at putting because putting is easy.
0: Exactly. So, the exact question that we are trying to tackle and hypothesize here is how can you make putting a bigger factor in tournament? That is the question, right? And everything you said, completely true. And I totally agree. One of the interesting things that you said that I hadn't thought about until you said it, but I think is something that's really interesting to discuss, was with the other professional sports, right? And specifically, the NCAA moving back the three-point line. That's a huge difference, right? The expected number of points on any possession is now going to drop because the percentage of three-pointers in particular being made is going to drop, right? Because that distance right, is, right. is greater. So, yes, that statistically has big impacts, but there's, there's a whole other side of that discussion that isn't as statistics-based, and it's that once you make a huge change like that, it becomes really difficult to compare statistical performances after that change and before that change. Yep. Right? Yep. And you look at a sport like basketball, if they made a change like that, well, let's go back to, what, 1985 or whatever it was when the NBA added a three-point line, right? Yep. You have how many decades of history in the NBA Right, where there was no three-point line.
1: Right. Is it relevant to talk about player performances from before that compared to player performances now?
0: Right. So every discussion between athletes in our generation and the Wilt Chamberlains of the past has this huge barrier to comparing them because they didn't play the same game they didn't play by the same rules right right and there could be some of the things we talk about in disc golf that could push that right yeah Uh, and i'll just give you an example if you want to make putting a bigger factor in tournaments like you said you could just use marksman baskets yeah make the basket smaller (laughs) and now if 2023 comes around and we're putting on marksman baskets do I, we define 2023 and on as the marksman era of disc golf? Right. Like baseball has the live ball era, right? Where right. they actually changed the ball and it affected the game so much that it has its own name, right? The live ball era. It, right. it gets to the how point you where say, now-
1: How could you say Gannon Burr is a better, a better putter than Ken Climo, right? You can't even compare it anymore.
0: Exactly. And Ken Climo is exactly who I was going to grab onto because- the only player that ever competes with Paul for the goat status, right, the goat title, is Ken Climo. And if we go to Marksman Baskets next year and Paul plays ten of his years on the Pro Tour on Marksman Baskets, how will you ever be able to compare those two? You can't, I mean, it's a different game, right? Right, right. And you would have, you know, a half to two thirds of Paul's career. Where he put it on what I'll call normal baskets. And so did Climo. But, you know, if Paul goes on to win three more world championships on marksman baskets, A, is that more or less impressive? I, I, right. I guess more impressive. Um, but that's honestly up for debate. And it just gets hard to compare, right? So we'll propose some pretty outlandish ways that would possibly make putting a bigger factor sure and you know some of them are going to have these types of or you know they would have these types of consequences where you're warping the game so much right and now it's just you're not looking at it just from is this beneficial through a statistical lens but there's all this other stuff that goes on behind the scenes is with making changes that big right
1: yeah. And, you know, some of these are, are silly and we know would never happen, but it's fun for the sake of conversation. And some of these are legitimate things that I think, you know, these courses or the ProTor could be implementing. And, you know, just to, to jump to the first one that I think a lot of people talk about when they have these sorts of discussions, and I actually don't agree with this one, is a, a lot of people will talk about moving Circle One back. So they say, "Hey, let's put circle one at 45. So now you can't step or jump putt until 45 feet or 60 feet or whatever, whatever you want to change it to." And and I really just don't see step putting or jump putting being th- the reason that putting is as easy as it is. You know, pe- people are still making 30 and 32 footers, like almost lights out for some of these guys. And yeah, for sure. You know, I, I don't think, it, you know, not even all of the players step or jump putt. You know, it's it's probably half.
0: That's it, what I was going to jump on, right? Is if yeah. it was so obviously beneficial. Everybody would do it. Everyone would do it. Exactly. And it's,
1: it's the other thing is it's still hard, right? It's still impressive. You're still making the putt. It's not like it makes it that much easier. It's something you have to practice. It's something you have to work on. It's more of a style thing than a this is easier or better thing.
0: Yeah, it could be, like, when you bring your friend out who's never played and, you know, or, or maybe someone who's been playing for a few years and they just only throw forehand, right? Right. And you're trying to tell them, like, if you practice the backhand, there could be more distance potential, for example, right? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, sure, they're... There could be, but I just have to put so much work into that. Like, I don't take disc golf seriously enough to to put that work in, right? Right. That part of the argument goes away when you're talking about the pros. I mean, but it could be one of those things where like, yeah, maybe if I practice it and got really good at it, then my, let's call it my 50% make distance moves back like four feet. Sure. But do I want to put, years of practice right. into this new thing what if like you, not knowing if, if it's gonna help in. at all
1: what if you put the practice in and you got your general circle one putting percentage up five percent right. in that same right. amount of time you know yeah and the other thing that that happens when you start talking about move, moving circle one is circle one and circle two other than the step putting and jump putting conversation which you know like we said i don't think is that important they're completely arbitrary all that it does is define how you talk about the statistics right it's just a line where we say oh this is an easier putt and that's a harder putt right so like and 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 of course the circle 2 putts do create more separation than circle 1 putts but there's not that many of them that it's really impacting the game as much as we'd like and that's really the source of this conversation you know, if you look at Ganenberg and Worlds, your your example, right, he was 87th in strokes gained tee to green, and first in strokes gained putting, most of which came from circle two. So, pretty much average, extremely average T to green performance, and he finished in 14th place at a major, just because of circle two putting. So, like, obviously it was a standout performance, so you can create separation with T to green, but... That's just because one player had a really, really stellar performance, and it's not like the guys that were just, you know, generally above average in circle two that that was enough to make up for a weaker tee-to-green game, right? It's not like you just see guys who are, like, amazing putters, and that's good enough. You know, yeah. most of these courses, you need to be able to throw the disc.
0: Yeah, that Gannon performance was quite an outlier, for sure. Right.
1: Yeah, so it, it has the potential at the deeper distances if you're making a lot of putts, but how can we how can we see that separation in shorter circle two and circle one putts, you know?
0: Yeah. So whether you think growing the green is a good idea or not, I think more objectively, is it safe to say that growing the green would increase the, uh, would it make putting a bigger factor, right? Would it create more separation?
1: I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it changes anything. You can draw the circles wherever you want. If somebody wants to putt from 90 feet, they're going to putt from 90 feet whether you call that circle two or not. You
0: sure. Know? So from a purely... I, I agree that it would not change the outcome of a tournament. Right, okay. like
1: You mean from a statistical standpoint?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think if the greens get bigger, right?
1: Yes, I think it does create more separation in
0: that it, case. It, right, because if a player misses a 70-foot putt, currently that is outside circle two, right? Right. So that missed putt would count against their tee to green. If they make the throw in, it counts towards their tee to green. Whereas in this new scenario, if circle one is 45 and circle two is 90, a make or a miss or whatever from 70 feet gets counted towards your putting. So purely statistically, I think just by the numbers, it would cause more separation in the putting strokes Right. Just the numbers, right? You're
1: moving more strokes over to the putting part of the game by making that area larger.
0: Right. right. In reality, if a, like today, with the circle boundaries where they are, if a player makes a 70-foot putt, that should get credited to their putting, right? Right. As opposed right. to their tee to green. So at the end of the day, like, it's not going to change uh, how somebody's ability to putt affects their chances to win. Because again, it's, you're just drawing lines, right? It, it doesn't actually change anything about the way that players play the game. Right. Um, but it probably would account for more putts being counted against your putting statistic,
1: Right. And, you know, I think... The right way to start thinking about it is the, the difference between, let's say a a elite player, by the way, if you haven't listened to our conversation about what it means to be elite, go back and listen to that episode. It's really fun. Um, an elite player in, in, let's say, circle one putting and an average player, a 50th percentile putter in circle one putting, the putting percentage difference, you know, let's say MPO in elite is probably around 85%, and average MPO putter is probably more in like the high 70s range, you know, 78, 79. The number of strokes that that creates in a a given tournament is not that much, right? You're talking about making the difference between 80% and 85% of your putts. And that's assuming that you got to green and regulation circle one in the first place. Whereas the difference between an average circle two putter and an elite circle two putter is, is a bigger disparity as far as a percentage goes. So that has the potential to create more separation. We just don't end up with those circle two putt opportunities that often that it's creating more than a few stroke differentials here and there.
0: Right. Right,
1: You know, and, and like in the Gannon Burr example, he had a lot of strokes gain T to green. Sorry, he didn't have a lot of strokes gain T to green, which means, you know, he was sort of creating longer looks and more opportunity. You know, you know what I mean? If, you're, if you have a really strong T to green game, it doesn't create the potential for a lot of circle one or circle two long looks, right? If you're, if you're performing well T to green you're probably giving yourself better looks. Whereas if you're struggling tee to green, you're probably giving yourself longer looks and your putting is going to struggle. So the, they sort of work against each other in a way, right? And I, I haven't really thought about it that much before, before now as I say this, but one of the ways that you can make putting harder is make it hard to get into circle one. I know that doesn't, I know that, that that's not really the conversation we're having because that doesn't create... S- separation from putting, but it makes it harder to get the easy putts. So, you know, you end up with more long putts and long putts create more separation than short putts do. So if you make it harder to get short putts, you you do drive the game in that direction a little bit.
0: Yeah, that that is a really good point, right? And I forget what tournament this was, but I was listening to coverage and the commentator was talking about the design of this particular hole where they said that the person who designed that course intended for that particular hole to... They wanted the player to be at, like, the edge of circle one with a perfect tee shot. Right. Right. And it opens up the idea. Like, that was really the first time that I had thought about, you know, it's okay to make circle one elusive right now when you talk about greens and regulation it's easy to get this idea into your head that the the hole is designed such that playing the hole well should put you in circle one and or
1: like even a tap-in right
0: <laughs> right like if if there's a hole that let's say it's a par three if it is extremely difficult to park that basket it could be viewed as pretty unfair right oh the best you could possibly do is get to 20 feet right okay well from a score separation perspective that's probably ideal
1: right right It, it gives it forces longer looks right it it rewards being strong in both aspects. The stronger you are tee to green, you know, you take pressure off of your, your putt. But as an average tee to green player, you know, you end up in an average position off of the tee. If you're a strong putter, you're going to gain strokes in the field, you know, more more often than you would on a hole where more people get into, you know, tap in range or, or closer putting range and things like that, right? So... I think that's an interesting take: is using tee to green to drive harder putts, right? And the the other the other way to do it is to design a hole in such a way that the risk reward of the tee shot is interlaced with the risk reward of the putt. So, for example, hole fourteen on Maple Golds. So this is big hyzer over the water, OB far and right the whole time, and the pin is probably 10 feet off of the water, so you hyzer in left. It's about 440, so for most pros, the the distance is not the problem, and you can play it safe. There's not OB left, so you can hyzer in 50 feet away from the pin, chip up, and get an easy par. But the closer and closer that you want to take the, the risk-reward on your tee shot gives you a closer and closer putt. So because there's some risk-reward in the tee-to-green game, you can drive some separation in the putting by you know, creating these scenarios where you can't just park a hole. You, know, you can, but that creates score separation as well. And then on the flip side of it, when you have that putt, because essentially every putt on that hole is gonna have water in play to some degree, for the most part, it you know, you you drive some separation there because there's some risk reward as far as do you run the putt, do you lay it up? You know, if you miss the putt, now you're losing additional strokes instead of just the missed stroke, you know, on the putt itself, you're taking an OB stroke and going to the drop zone or playing it from, from the OB line. And things like that. So those are other ways to create more separation. Is with OBs and hazards and things like that around the green and off of the tee that create risk reward scenarios around the green, whether it's a risk reward from the tee or a risk reward from the green itself.
0: Yeah, hole fourteen at Maple, uh, Maple Gold specifically, is a very good case study in this, right? Because it's very possible to park it right you got to get maybe a little lucky with the roll away and and whatever but it's very possible to park it we're not talking about this hole where you've got to throw a perfect tee shot just to get to 25 or 30 feet it's a it's a big hyzer it's very possible the the question on hole 14 at maple is do you want to try to put it that close right because there's risk of missing and going ob um and it's exactly what you said. It's a trade between throwing a great tee shot is going to reward me on the putting green as well and get me a closer look. So, right, and
1: that, that drives separation both in putting and in tee to green, right? Exactly,
0: right. So one of the things I want to mention here uh, comes from watching USW DGC this year. One of the comments about that course, or the courses rather, was that they were really short, which I thought was great. I loved uh, it. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, it was fantastic. And what was predicted going into that tournament by some of the pros was that the players who putted really well were going to be the players who won.
1: Yeah, I think Paige said that, right?
0: Yeah, Paige and Kona, I think, talked about it on commentary. Yeah. So how do we feel about shorter holes playing, creating uh, putting as a bigger factor in tournaments. Because yeah, I, th- I think it's, uh, you know, shorter I don't think is strictly the right way to look at it, but I think making the tee to green part of the game easier, let's say, uh, should affect putting, but in a different way than we talked about so far, right? So, yeah. Essentially, there's two ways that you can make putting a bigger factor in tournaments. You can change something about putting or you can change something about the rest of the game, which is the tee to green, right? You can either increase separation. That's really the right phrase I was looking for. You can increase the scoring separation on the putting game or you can decrease the separation on the tee to green game. And I think that's when we say make the holes shorter, what we're really getting at is reducing the separation in the tee-to-green game. And whether that's making the holes shorter or just removing obstacles or OBs or whatever, uh, you accomplish the same thing.
1: It makes the putting a more exciting part of the tournament because it is driving the separation between players you know it might not be as much separation as some of these other things we talk about but it it you know the the tournament starts to come down to putting when you make the tee to green more accessible right exactly and i i think you know uswdgc is a great example because you know we've talked about this before and a lot of people talk about this is i think particularly on courses where they sort of shove an FPO layout into an existing MPO layout and maybe don't do a great job with the course design to fit an FPO FPO player's game I think a lot of what happens is you know you've got your top few distance players in FPO and they're going to maybe get to to circle 1 the rest of the players are going to get to you know maybe circle 3 or circle 2 and then Pitch up and then put in their par. And if you have a, a hole that's, you know, 450 feet for the FPO and it's a par three, you're not going to create any putting separation because not everybody, most of the players aren't going to reach that. And then everybody's just going to pitch up a short approach shot and have a relatively easy putt. You know, from yeah. 100 feet, everybody's going to get up and down. Exactly. Whereas if you make a hole, 375 feet now you have a much larger range of players that are going to reach it and therefore you have more putts that are littered around you know maybe the best players are are reaching you know short circle one but now you have a lot of players that are reaching closer than that and further than that in circle two and even longer than that and you create more excitement around the, the green because there's more players around the green right and this is this is it's sort of the same conversation as taking the MPO holes that are really easy par threes and maybe making it harder tee to green so that less players get in circle one and you spread out the putts between circle one and circle two. Except I think the FPO tends to be on the opposite side of it as the MPO, right? I think FPO, you need to make the tee to green a little bit softer to drive the separation in the putting, whereas in the MPO, it's the other way around. I think you need to make T to green less easy so people stop getting tap-ins and short circle one putts. But it's the two sides to the same same coin, right?
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. So on the idea of making it harder to get to circle one, which I, I agree, that is a way that you create separation, right? Yep. On that idea... Forget about how we get to the green, right? The whole, the whole tee to green game. Just looking at the area that is the green. Sure. How do we feel about, I'll call them obstacles on the green? So one of the things that comes to mind for me is hole nine at Fox Run, which if you don't know what hole I'm talking about, you'll see it this weekend at Green Mountain Championship. But hole nine is like 450 feet from the MPOT. It's a par three. It is a little bit downhill. OB on the left and right. It's a pretty narrow fairway. Um, but there's really nothing in the airspace, right? It's, it's just hard T to green because mostly because of that OB. But then you get to the green and there's this giant like five foot tall boulder on the green. Yep. What do we think about stuff like that? Where now, I mean, that boulder's in circle one, I'm pretty sure, at least part of it. Yep. Um, If you're behind it, you're probably not in circle one, you're probably in circle two. But, you know, whether it's a boulder or a bush or more commonly just trees, right? Now you're in a position where you could be 15 feet from the basket, but you might have to do this wide straddle around some big bush. Sure. Or that boulder, right?
1: Yeah. So my take is, let's take that example just like in a vacuum. So you just got one hole on this course that has a, a weird green where you've got some feature that, that makes it harder to putt near, near that feature, like the boulder on, on hole nine at Fox. So at, at worst, it's going to create some unlucky looks for some players, Right? If you're not careful on your approach shot, you could get stuck behind this boulder. And if you're an excellent putter, you can probably deal with it. And if you struggle around putting around obstacles, you're probably not going to perform as well putting as somebody who's not near that boulder. Or somebody who is near the boulder but is a better putter. Or, at best, I think you create more thought process around the approach shot And, you know, you sort of drive the game in a way where you have to no longer be mindless about your approach from, I don't know, let's say you go OB left, like I did when I played that hole. And, (laughs) you you know, you got to pitch up and you're just trying to get your bogey and you pitch up from 200 feet. You got to make sure you don't end up near that boulder because it it is harder to make the putt. And I, I love that. I think what you need to be careful about, though, is if you only do that on one hole, it feels gimmicky, right? It it feels like, oh man, I got unlucky. I landed behind this boulder. Sure, I could have been more accurate on my approach shot, but you know that that stinks. But the the more you do that, when you you know drive those sorts of separations, when it's when it sort of becomes the expectation that. There are obstacles around the green and, you know, you have to be tight with your approach shots, or maybe you have to play to the, the far side of the circle away from the boulder, which might give you a longer putt, but you might feel more comfortable that, with that than you do with a shorter putt that maybe your back foot's near that boulder or something like that. And those sorts of things drive separation. But you got to be careful that it's not just like a one-off thing that might make somebody feel like they got an unlucky break. You know, if if you do that on a lot of holes, I think it starts to feel good and cohesive, right?
0: Yeah, and I'm not talking about like putting a brick wall that's no, of fifteen feet wide, right, where you got to go over it or else you have no look. No. I'm talking about like, give me a bush that's like four feet wide. So that if you're right square behind that bush, you just have to straddle out to one side. Your putt is not your preferred putting stance, but you have an open look. Right, right. It sure. just makes you or change your game a little trees, bit. Trees,
1: right? Just trees around the green. Yep, For the yep. most part, trees aren't big enough that if you're behind a tree, it's going to block a look, but it's going it's to change it.
0: It changes your putt, exactly.
1: Whether you're straddling out or whether you've got to put a little angle on your putt to get around a tree, those things make putting more challenging. And I think the the players, MPO and FPO, that are stronger putters deal with those situations better than players that aren't. And that's exactly what drives uh, separation. So I, I love things like that. Trees, boulders, rocks, bushes, give me all of it. I love sand traps. I don't I don't know that I love them being a stroke penalty hazard. I think that's a different conversation. But I I don't hate them on, you know, like LVC where you've got to make the putt out of the sand. And like I said, hazard stroke aside, that that makes that harder. You know, if you don't put your putt where it needs sorry, if you don't put your approach where it needs to be, you're going to putt out of a more difficult area. You know, your feet are kind of moving on the sand. That's awesome. I love that stuff.
0: So you stole my thunder because <laughs> I was going to propose hazard free green bunkers. Yeah. As like love the it. way of the future. Love I, it. I, I think that's the way to go because. Totally agree. It's like the airspace between you and the basket. Is wide open, right? You're not talking about, oh, there's this big tree, like I just have no look, blah blah blah. Like you have a look, right? But it changes your putting enough that not not only is it something that you've practiced less, but it gets in your head more. And that's what golf is, right? It is just a mental thing. Yeah. If you on flat ground if you put any pro at 25 feet, they will make 90% of those putts. And it's only, that percentage is only going to go up as the years go on, right? Yeah. So you have to do something to force players to change the way that they putt. And I think that is the number one way that you're going to create separation, right? And a bunker is the cleanest way to do that, in my opinion.
1: You know you know what? Another thing that I love about this is, is it's really compatible with, with the open golf courses, which I think need right. desperately need ways to create scoring separation. You know, and in a way, you know, you're not you're not going to put a sand bunker on a green in a woods public park course, right? Maybe, maybe on some of the private courses, but it, that's going to be hard to do. See, but that's least,
0: where I want to go.
1: Oh, oh! I, I totally agree. I yep. think just on the public park, you know, let's say Waco, right? That's going to yep. be tough to do. Yep. At, at Maple Hill, GMC, absolutely they could do that. 100%. And, and I would love to see it. But I think it, it creates, at, at least in the short term, a, a really unique scenario. You know, LVC, Emporia, those, those sorts of courses, you know, you can use the existing golf bunkers that are there, you know? And I, I think it's a, a really cool way to create separation. I, another one that I really like is elevation, right? It, 100%. It creates risk-reward scenarios, and you need to create a situation that says, hey, I'm at 40 feet. This might not be worth it, right? If you run it and you make it, great, you got your birdie. If you run it and you miss it, maybe you get a bogey. Or you can lay it up and take your par. That creates way more separation than a flat ground 40-foot putt where you're always going to hit the comeback. You know? And I think of 2021 Worlds, I forget the hole. I think it was 15 or 16. You know which one I'm talking about? Big, over-the-top hole. Macbeth had, like, a 60-footer elevated basket OB behind it. And he, like, goes for it and drains it. Yeah, You're, do you remember which which hole I'm talking about?
0: I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: It, it might have been more like 50, but he, th- that's that's a situation where the elevated basket, the OB behind it, you know, that that green creates separation and rewarded an objectively awesome putting performance, you know, over other players that were in the the same position as Paul. Probably did not gain you know he he gained strokes on those players from that position because of a a good performance
0: yeah, absolutely so here's here's I'm going back to the bunker thing yeah, <laughs> so here's what I like also about bunkers is they prevent the roll away okay, so if you're on a hole that's like notoriously you know you miss your putt, it's fifty fifty if you roll seventy feet away or just stay parked just put some sand there no one's gonna roll so what about what
1: about this what if you have a hole where you know let, let's say it's on a hill and and rollaways are a potential what if you put the bunker on one side and you you know the left side of the pin but you don't put the bunker on the right side you give players a choice do you do you intentionally approach the bunker? And maybe give yourself a trickier putt out right, of the sand. Right. Or do you approach the the non-bunker side but risk the roll away, but then you don't have to putt out of the sand? You know, you, you create scenarios where it drives choice and strategy and things like that.
0: Yep. I'm here for it.
1: I love it. I I think basket height is is actually a good thing. I you know, there, there are some elevated pins that, that feel gimmicky or annoying, but in general, I think it's a good thing. There, there's a particular course near me that, for whatever reason, has like two or three pins that are just like a foot low. I don't know what it is.
0: See, and I want more of that. It's, it's surprisingly hard, exactly. and that's good. Because you've never practiced that. Because
1: I don't practice that. And I hit
0: the band on
1: those stupid baskets all the time. And that's awesome.
0: Right? So, yeah. So the course I was talking about earlier where I shot eight under despite two bogeys, there is a long pin position on hole 18 on that course where they literally dug a hole in the ground so they could put the basket in such that the bottom of the cage is like a foot off the normal ground level. Wow. It's really low.
1: Yeah. And I think it's great. You create
0: separation there. Like I've had 18 foot putts from there where I'm like shaky about it, you know? Well,
1: how do you get that in? Right. But maybe, maybe you've got a guy that's really good at that. Maybe he drops to a knee to make the putt. Right. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's cool. It's fun to watch. It's fun to do. Right. Um, just to, uh, come away with maybe maybe some sillier, if you want to call it that, ideas, you know, that I have for other ways to create separation. I think making the target smaller is an obvious one, yep. but I don't see it happening. But I something I do see hap- potential maybe is just the basket design itself. You know, as we converge towards, you know, the Pro Tour is talking about standardizing baskets and things like that, is, are there ways in the future that we can design a basket that rewards better putts? So, for example, if you've ever putted on like an old like Mach two or Mach three basket, um, there's a lot of them around here. Y- you got to putt a little softer, and you got to hit <laughs> and you got to hit dead center. If you get, catch outside chains, you're gonna blow right through them, and if yep. you putt too hard, you'll bounce off the pole and come right out. Yep. So. Obviously, baskets have gotten better since then, but I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing with regards to to stroke separation, right? Whereas in this idealized world that I'm obviously fantasizing, what if you had a basket that, if you stripe it on the pole, it caught 100 percent of the time? But if you hit you know, six inches in either direction, it catches 90 percent of the time? And if you catch outside chains, it catches 50% of the time. I know the baskets already do that a little bit to, to start, but could could you make a basket that exaggerates that and rewards putts more often that are closer to the center of the pole?
0: D- yeah, Does that
1: create separation?
0: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it creates separation strictly from the perspective of you know, the putts that should go in are in. And so you create separation just by removing some of the luck.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, But I don't think it would have a huge impact per se. So I'll take that idea one step further and say, what if there wasn't just one regulation basket size, right? Like, What if you had a a hole where the basket is elevated, so it's harder from a putting perspective, but the basket is also like 3% wider, so it's easier to putt on from that perspective? Is that fair? Like, does that make everything okay? Even though the basket is literally not the same dimensions as another basket on the same course?
1: Yeah, I, I don't... I don't know that I hate that. At, you know, at first glance it feels silly and gimmicky cuz like a basket's a basket, right? But what this reminds me of is you know, anybody that's played mini golf knows this, right? And and I don't know enough about ball golf to know how, how common this is on, you know, pro tour ball golf courses, but every now and then there's a a, a mini golf hole, let's say, where you kind of got a little bit of a slope down near near the hole and effectively it creates the the hole is larger right the the margin where you can make a putt is larger than a normal hole and similarly you you know you have ones that are the opposite where they kind of slope away where you have to really nail the accuracy and speed of your shot to get it in yep and that's, that's fun in mini golf because it, mini golf essentially is all about putting separation, right? Yeah, <laughs> That's the yep. entire game. Yep. So it creates really interesting scenarios. And I, I like your idea where, you know, what if you had a, a hole that was like objectively easy tee to green? You know, pretty much everybody's going to get like a, a good circle one look at it and put a marksman basket on it.
0: Yeah, just give me like 300 feet flat ground, nothing in the way, and put a marksman basket out there. It would yeah. be interesting, like, as a uh, let's say at the all star event where they do these side events, right? Yeah, sure. It would be cool to do that just to get the statistics from it and see is it what that the much harder? Yeah, like, sure. Right.
1: And what I think is cool about that is even though it might not show up in the T to green statistics, it it does affect what those T to green statistics mean, right? All of a sudden, the difference between a 40-footer and a 35-footer, which might not be that different on a normal basket, on a marksman basket, that 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 might be more of a difference, right? And getting to 20 feet is all of a sudden way, way, way more important, or even parking it, because a 20-footer on a marksman basket is not easy. Not easy. And so my my point is, even though it's only a 300-footer, you've got to be even more accurate tee to green. It doesn't just mean that you have to be a better putter. It means that it puts more pressure on your tee to green game as well, right? I'm not saying smaller baskets in general is always better, but... In scenarios where there's not a lot of difficulty, T to green, I think, it's, I think it's a way that you can create stress around both the putting and the T to green game.
0: Yeah, for me right now, I think I'm of the impression that, you know, the marks and basket is pretty extreme, but on select holes, if we're talking about a basket whose chain diameter, if you will, sure, is plus or minus 10% I was going to say like 3% that that seems cool to me yeah I think I'm okay with that um
1: no I, I I think I am too you know if if you create a hole like like the imaginary hole we were talking about before where it's really hard to get a close look on it could you give it a bigger basket you know is there right? I, is a reason for that?
0: Yeah, I think there would have to be a reason to use a ever-so-slightly smaller basket or a bigger basket, right? So the example of the elevated pin, right? We're going to put the bottom of the cage five feet off the ground, but we'll make the basket 3% wider or something, right?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, I've got one and I'm I'm not saying I do or don't like this. Um I'm just yep. throwing it out there for the sake of discussion, then I'll tell you if I do or don't like it. Sure. How would you feel about a a basket that did not allow you to putt from let's say, you know, twenty twenty percent of its radius, do you know what I mean? Like like circumferentially you so, know if, if like 45 degrees of the 360 degrees around the basket were were blocked and i don't mean by a tree i oh, mean like literally there's like sheet metal on the basket where like you can't make it in if you're back there
0: yeah yeah so and i'll simplify that a little bit so like take a basket cut it in half basically on a a vertical plane sure and just like put a piece staple of plywood the basket, on the back yeah. yeah staple the basket to a wall
1: yeah right. or or back it right up against a tree so that you can't make a yeah, putt from yeah. behind it, right? Is I know that doesn't necessarily create separation in the putting. But is that is that a welcome change? For for me I don't think it is. It feels more gimmicky than anything. But Yeah.
0: So, but it's interesting to think about. It, it is, yeah. I think I would lean towards being okay with it, but there would have to be some proof that putting on that basket is not so much harder than putting on a, on a normal basket. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I'm open to it. I, I'm not going to throw it to the wayside right away. Yeah. My concern literally on on that exact scenario would be you throw a great putt but the area of the basket is just too small to like reliably have it stick in catch. the cage sure right but again if you could come up with something that was reliable to catch like that I I think I'd be open to it. I don't know what that would look like.
1: No, I I think I'm more in favor of it being a a natural thing, right? I I don't love the idea of having a half basket, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or something to block it. But I think if if you if you push it a little closer to a tree, than is comfortable and things like that. I th- I think that's okay as long as it sort of feels organic. I guess with the course, I think that's important to me. Mm-hmm. I I don't like unnatural things, like you said, like brick walls and things like that. I think those are kind of, kind of silly, even, even though from like a mechanical standpoint, they're the same thing. Um, you know, whether, whether it's a tree or a concrete column doesn't, doesn't change how it plays, but it certainly changes how it feels. Um, I, I think part of what's really compelling about disc golf is, you know, anybody that plays, I'm sure we, we go on walks in the woods that aren't disc golf courses and you're like, "Oh, that would be really cool to play from there to there." and you're essentially just taking like this nothing in the woods or even in a field or whatever it is, and saying, "Oh, this would be really cool this this would create fun and drama and separation if I threw this object from this place to this place and when when there's trees and elevations and Natural things like that, that create that separation. I think that's more compelling than like, you know, things that feel more fake, yep. but I, I think it, it does have its place in a professional sport, right? Like, like for example, ball golf, I mean, all of that is manufactured, right? You know, of course there's some elevations and things like that, that are probably natural and, and woods and things like that. But for the most part, the shape of the fairways is completely man-made and very intentionally designed, you know? And that's something that I think we enjoy about disc golf is, especially on the wooded courses, a lot of the times it feels really organic in its placement. And I think in order to make any change surrounding the green feel good, you've got to sort of make it feel organic in that same way and i i actually think that the the sand traps let's call them s- sort of do that i know it's not something you would just find naturally but it doesn't feel like super gimmicky in your face you know mozzarella stick kind of thing i hate to bring that up but yeah i think yep. it's relevant
0: <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> All right, so I think that's a good segue. Not the mozzarella sticks, but what we were talking about before is a good segue into my last point, and we're running a little bit long on time. Uh, We talked about the basket heights earlier, playing on elevated pins and lowered pins even. Both of those good places to explore. In a similar vein, I think exploring the elevation on the green, not the height of the basket from the ground, but the elevation and the hilliness, let's say, of the green is great. Not just because it changes the elevation angle of your putt, just like an elevated basket would, but also because it messes with your footing. So if you're from Kansas or something, and you haven't ever putted on a hilly green, hilly greens are cool because oftentimes, like for me, if I'm putting from a hill... I have to go to a straddle putt just for balance, right?
1: Yeah, because your back foot is almost not on the ground if you're putting up a hill, right? Right,
0: yeah. So I just find that I'm much more balanced and much more likely to make the putt if I go to a straddle. A straddle putt isn't huge, right? I used to putt straddle putt always. But again, it is forcing players to approach their putt differently than their normal... But because on flat ground at 25 feet a pro is going to make that almost every single time right it's kind of like cornhole right every time you throw a cornhole bag assuming there are no other bags on the boards it's the same throw every single time yep. right and if you're a pro you should execute what you're trying to do every single time yep and in disc golf, we have levers and knobs that we can pull and turn and all that to change the game so that not every putt is the same. And I like elevation as one of those options. Um, again, we mentioned this talking about bunkers where... If you have a really hilly green, you could introduce these really unlucky rollaways, blah, blah blah. I say throw some sand bunkers on there to catch those rollaways, and now you're good. Yeah, I, I had elevation written a down. For me. Yeah,
1: I had it written down as well. I totally agree. There's there's courses around me that I play. There's holes that I'm that I'm thinking of that both uphill and downhill, you know, create create drama and interesting situations and things like that. Right. And there's, it goes both ways, right. Where it's not just about making something harder, right. For, for example, let's, there's a, there's a course near me where it has a a pin position that's sort of in a little bowl. So you, I mean, you can run it from 50 or 60 feet, which is really far for a not professional player. And you're not going to end up with more than a 15-footer just because of the way it filters back toward the pin with the bowl. But what's cool about that is it makes you run putts that you wouldn't normally run because you know there's, there's less risk, I guess, with it. So now you're more likely to run stuff that you might not have run on flat ground. So it's not just always like, hey, let's make it harder. Sometimes making it easier, too, can drive drama. And maybe in in the pro tour, that's not as much of a factor, right? I, I think generally putting is easy and we need to create things that increase the challenge, but you can have drama surrounding putting, even if it doesn't create necessarily statistical separation, just due to changes like that, elevation and things like that, that make some holes easier and some holes harder, and maybe some holes are neutral as far as whether or not they're safe to run a long putt and some of them are actually better you know you've got a bit of a backstop and you can you can go for it and that's that's fun to see players do that it's fun to watch it's fun to play
0: so when you come out here we are going to drive all the way out to california in the la area and we are going to play a disc golf course called rancho del sol and i've played it two or three times the first time i played it i shot like One over or something. And it's just this wide open course on a ball golf course, right? That ball golf course is not being used anymore, but it was a ball golf course. Now it's just an overgrown ball golf course. But reflecting on that round, like, why did I shoot one over or whatever it was? Because it's just wide open. It's because putting on those greens is so difficult because of the elevation on the greens. Yep. And being conscious of that. I was thinking about that the next time I played it and that's exactly what it is. Like sometimes you're 20 to 25 feet out, but you've got to straddle cuz you're on this huge hill or whatever and it makes the putting so much harder.
1: And that's you know, maybe as a an amateur player sometimes that feels frustrating, but as a fan of the sport, that's a really good thing, right? To create unique situations and differences between greens that make it not exactly like what you practiced. And, and that's what creates separation. It's what rewards better putting. It's what drives us to all practice new things and get better at new things and perform well in situations that aren't exactly how we anticipated or practiced them. And I think like, To to sort of sum it all up, I think that creates a substantially better product, especially as we all hope that this moves as a sport towards, you know, maybe even being televisable at some point. And we want, you know, more of our friends to get into watching and playing disc golf. And I think those sorts of situations lend themselves to creating excitement.
0: So... I am tapped out on all my notes here, Joe. We're running a little bit long. Do you've got anything else you'd like to say on the topic?
1: no, that's that's pretty much it. i I think it is important to think about other sports and what other sports have done and tried and um, you know, also to think about disc golf not just as a game and not even just a professional game, but as a as a product for a viewer. And as a spectator, as that begins to become more important in our sport and, you know, think about all of those factors when when thinking about these things, you know, um, seeing, like I said early on in the, in the podcast, seeing Paul Macbeth McBe- win, sorry, seeing Paul Macbeth miss a 20-footer might not be exciting on the Only on if you're Aaron ground. Gossage
0: in the World Championships.
1: <laughs> yes, that might be exciting for Aaron Gossage. Yep. But but seeing Paul maybe miss his approach line a little bit and end up, end up in a bunker and then struggle with a trickier 20 foot putt because of that, I think that is exciting and creates drama and fun scenarios. And I think as, as this sport moves forward, I think that's something that, that would definitely improve the quality of the sport in the Quality of the Pro Tour and
0: eventually the quality of the pros themselves. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. So, so, as always, all data cited on the podcast comes from UDisc Live and StatMando. Thanks to them, as always, for letting us use their data, whether they know it or not. And uh, I think that's all we got before heading into the Green Mountain Championship. So, Joe, any closing thoughts?
1: I'm excited about GMC and MVP.
0: Couldn't be more excited. I'm totally with you. Love it. All right. So that's all we got this week. So until then, peace.